Welcome to Reader, I Murdered Him, the podcast where we transform fake crimes into true crime. And for the month of December, we've been diving into the depravities of the holiday season with Christmas-themed mysteries. Everyone knows the story of the final shootout between Sarkeesian and Billy Shine, better known as the Death, on that fateful Christmas Eve night above the mysterious bookshop. At the time, most of the coverage of this event had been focused on how the shootout fit into the bigger picture of gang violence in New York. Reporters were hyper-focused on how this was just another example of La Cosa Nostra's weakening hold on their territory and how other gangs were starting to move in. And the coverage that wasn't focused on that was focused on the great betrayal of Sarkeesian and the mob boss Picaron's response. Turning the shootout into a metaphor for the underworld's underlying tensions and shifting loyalties. But none of these stories truly understood what happened that night when Sarkeesian met Billy Shine. And it wasn't until an expose by journalist Andrew Clavin that the real story would come out. And that's the story we'll be hearing today. I'm Risa P, and this is the true story of Sarkeesian and the death. Today, we're headed to the part of downtown Manhattan known as Tribeca to uncover the real story of Sarkeesian, former enforcer for mob boss Picaron, who had an uncharacteristic change of heart that led to a fatal shootout above the mysterious bookshop and the death not only of Sarkeesian, but of Picaron's up-and-coming assassin, Billy Shine, better known as The Death. But this story was never meant to be about Sarkeesian. And in fact, up until this one day, he'd been an exemplary employee. He was feared by rival gangs and respected by his own. The kind of man no one wanted to cross, and the kind that functioned purely on loyalty. He couldn't be bought off. So what led this loyal-to-the-death enforcer to finally cross his boss who he'd been serving without a hint of dissatisfaction for decades. Well, at face value, that reason is Stephen Bean, the man Sarkeesian refused to kill. But Stephen Bean is slimy even by underworld standards, and Sarkeesian had taken care of far better men than him. Stephen was a low man in the organization, and everyone hated him. Not just outside of the gang, but within it as well. Unlike Sarkeesian, Bean has no loyalty to anyone but himself. And even knowing the kind of men he's working for, Bean finds a way to skim from the profits, is always up for a payoff, and is constantly using the people around him no matter what their role in or out of the organization is. 
He even takes advantage of his own sister constantly, bleeding her savings dry to pay off his gambling debts, or just because she's willing to pay. And Picarone has finally had enough of this human dumpster fire bringing a bad name to his organization. While he might be a criminal, he functions by a very particular code of ethics. There are rules in the underworld, and it's time they were enforced. So he calls upon Sarkeesian and asks him to take care of the problem, because Sarkeesian has never failed to carry out a job. No one wants to be on the wrong side of one of Sarkeesian's visits, and as far as anyone else is concerned, this visit shouldn't be any different. Even Stephen knows exactly what's in store for him when he happens to glance out his window and see Sarkeesian walking down the sidewalk in front of his building. And it's in that split second that Stephen makes a choice that will change everything. You can call it a miracle. You can call it a dumb luck coincidence. But what Stephen Bean does next saves his life. He opens the window and he runs. Now, we can't know exactly what was going on in Stephen's head when he makes this choice, but we can safely assume it has a lot to do with him trying to save his own skin without trying to take accountability for the fact that he is a lying, cheating scumbag. And whenever Stephen got himself in over his head, he went to the one person he could always count on to be strong-armed into helping him out his sister, Haley. Now, Haley is technically only Stephen's half-sister, and the lives they've lived, separately from each other, have a lot to do with how these siblings turned out so different. Haley was the product of their mother's second marriage to an even-tempered and loving man. She grew up in a home where there was always enough and always love. She left home feeling optimistic about her future and with the knowledge that there would always be a soft spot for her to land if things didn't work out. This was not the upbringing of Stephen Bean. He was the son of his mother's first marriage, and his family life was filled with uncertainty, bitterness, and the constantly flaring tempers where anger was taken out on whoever was closest until his parents finally divorced and there was some respite from the storm, but little extra security. And while you might think this information would work to make Stephen a more sympathetic character, think again. Stephen frequently used this knowledge to his advantage to manipulate his half-sister into paying off his debts, even if it cleared out her own savings, or getting her to vouch for him, even if it would put her in harm's way which is exactly what Stephen does after seeing Sarkeesian. He knows his time is up in New York, but he needs money to make a clean getaway. So he goes to the small off-off-off-Broadway theater where he knows his sister has been rehearsing for a holiday-themed play she's a part of. Haley came to New York with the dream of being an actress, although after several years of trying and landing squarely among the hobbyists of community theater, and only making real money working as a bookseller at the mysterious bookshop, she's starting to think that dream is never going to become a reality. 
And it's because of this new change of heart that Stephen has to do a little more twisting than usual. Haley has managed to save up a decent amount, but she was planning to use that money to go back to school now that she's finally ready to make peace with letting go of her dream of becoming an actress. If she gives it all to her half-brother, she's going to have to start all over again. And she's sick of starting over just because Stephen refuses to do an honest day's work. But Stephen cries, begs, and then gaslights her into thinking she's the selfish one. And so Haley finally agrees, but says that she won't leave her rehearsal early and tells Stephen to meet her at her bank the next day for the money. Stephen isn't happy, but he leaves knowing that this is the best he's going to get and completely fails to notice that he's been followed by Sarkeesian. Now here's where our Christmas miracle comes in. Haley is playing the part of an angel in this holiday play, and tonight happens to be the technical rehearsal to get her voice, lighting, and the harness that suspends her above the stage to all work harmoniously. So when Stephen leaves and Sarkeesian arrives, Haley is by herself suspended over the stage while her director and stagehand are in the lighting booth trying out different ways to make a halo. Haley knows she has no way to protect herself, and if Sarkeesian decides to use her to make an example to her brother, there's nothing she can do to stop him. But Haley is resourceful, and she'll try anything to keep herself safe. So she waits until the lights hit her just right, and then shouts repent with everything she's worth. Are you feeling trapped this holiday season? Have bills, holiday commitments, and a year spent doing mediocre to poor work for your boss's highly illegal criminal enterprise starting to catch up with you? Perfectly Protected has you covered. Turn any house into a safe house with our classic line of home security systems, from motion sensors, continuously monitoring cameras, and a hub that will send a message directly to our perfectly protected home security team. You no longer need to impose on all those relatives you've worked so hard to cut out of your life through bad behavior and poor treatment. Perfectly protected. Why do more work than you have to? While a lot of things about Sarkeesian were common knowledge, there's one thing that wasn't. Sarkeesian was a devout Roman Catholic. And not just a cultural Roman Catholic. Sarkeesian believes wholeheartedly in the faith. He attended daily mass, went to reconciliation at least once a week, prayed the rosary, and tithed generously to his home church. But up until this moment, he'd never really confronted the reality that the work he was doing for Picaron went against everything his faith taught about the value of human life and violence. And something about this angel shouting repent at him in an otherwise abandoned theater hits him in a way nothing else has. All the pieces come together, and Sarkeesian decides tonight is the night he changes his life. He leaves the theater and the next morning goes to Picaron's house early in the day 
to tell him that he's done being a man that walks through the world leaving violence in his wake. He only wants to do good things from now on, just like Jesus taught in the Bible. Picarone nods, tells Sarkeesian that's just fine, waits until he leaves, and then calls Billy Shine, who has just now been promoted to Picarone's first choice go-to muscle, and tells him to take care of both Stephen Bean and Sarkeesian. But Picarone's wife is also a devout Catholic, and she doesn't think Sarkeesian deserves to die. So she tips him off. And Sarkeesian comes to the conclusion that his first good act has to be to save Stephen Bean's life, since that was the life he was trying to take when he was visited by the angel. But back to our friend Stephen Bean, who has just this morning received the remainder of his sister's life savings and has already spent it playing poker trying to grow the nest egg. So now he has no money to get out of town and has decided if he's going to die, he might as well spend whatever little he's managed to scrape together after the disastrous poker game and get really drunk. But Sarkeesian has other plans. He breaks into Stephen's apartment for a second time to tell him that the death is on his way. And so Stephen does what he's done every other time someone has tried to kill him. He runs to his sister. But tonight, he's running to Haley's apartment above the mysterious bookshop, which happens to be holding its annual Christmas party. Which means for this part of the story, at least, there are plenty of witnesses who can corroborate what happened next. Billy Shine is not intercepted by an angelic messenger, and he's able to follow the not-so-subtle trail that Sarkeesian and Stephen have laid heading over to Haley's apartment. Sarkeesian, filled with the Holy Spirit, or something like it, puts himself between Billy Shine and Stephen, and the two commence the now infamous shootout, both managing to fatally wound the other before exhausting their bullets. Billy Shine succumbs to his wounds in the hallway outside of Haley's door. Sarkeesian makes it outside to the snow-covered streets, where, according to at least one report of the incident, he claimed to see an angel right before he died. Neither Stephen Bean nor his sister Haley continued to live in New York for much longer after the incident. Haley ends up getting married and moves to Connecticut, where she happily gives up her acting career to mother her five children. Stephen's whereabouts remain unknown, but if history is anything to go on, he spent his life getting up to no good. He and his sister Haley remained estranged up until her death.
Thank you for listening to Reader, I Murdered Him. Today's story was based on the short story, The Killer Christian, by Andrew Clavin. Clavin is multiple-time nominee and winner of the Edgar Award for his detective fiction, and the story The Killer Christian was originally published for members of the Mysterious Bookshop. But I'm reading it in the Big Book of Christmas Mysteries, edited by Otto Pinsler. If you want to keep in touch between episodes, you can email me at readerimurderedhimpod at gmail.com or follow me on Instagram at the Stay at Home Creative. All those links can be found below in the show notes. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Happy holidays. And whether you've been listening from the beginning of 2023 or you're new to the podcast today, thank you for listening. I'm glad you're here. And don't forget to come back next year for another episode of Reader I Murdered Him. Salvis Mr. Lee.